Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm so happy you're joining us today with our guest, Mark Roberts. He is an advanced practitioner, almost finished fourth series, and speaking with him got me thinking a little bit about the different stages we go through as practitioners, especially when you practice over a long period of time. In the beginning, when we come to the Ashtanga yoga practice in particular, there's a lot of enthusiasm for the asanas, this goal of attaining different asanas or completing series keep us coming back day after day to our mat and keep us inspired and working really hard towards new physical attainments and this has a lot of benefits because we start to gain some benefits in our mind a calmer clearer mental state we feel happier our mood feels elevated Um, we also usually gain things like better immunity and our nervous system becomes more balanced. However, after some time, what can happen is we start to lose the enthusiasm for postures, for asanas, and we maybe want to go into a little bit more of the subtle aspects of the practice. We want to go into the deeper areas of the yoga and how can we still attain these benefits like reduced anxiety, elevated mood, um, good digestion, improved sleep quality. How can we attain all of these things without having a really strong, hard, physical asana practice driving us? And this is where I believe the fourth limb of yoga comes in, the pranayama, the expansion or extension of the prana, where we really start to tap into the subtle body and the movement of energy in the body using the breath. This is why I'm so passionate about the course that I've created called Ancient Breathing 2.0, where students will develop the tools and the skills needed to dive deeper into their yoga practice using techniques like kriyas, the cleansing actions, as well as pranayama exercises or breathing exercises. And we'll learn the connection between Ayurveda, the doshas, the vata, pitta, or kapha, and how they relate to specific pranayama breathing exercises. By the end of the course, students will develop their own pranayama practice that is specifically suited to their personal constitution. So if you've been thinking that it's time for you to dive deeper into the other limbs of yoga and specifically develop a regular breathing practice in addition to your daily asana practice, then this course is definitely for you. Pranayama will help to enhance your feelings of balance, increase your health. It will lessen tension and Bring a calm, relaxed state to your mind with more clarity and focus. I wanted to make these classes accessible to people in all different time zones. 
So I'll be having live classes on Saturdays, which will be Sunday morning in Australia and Asia, and then also Sunday mornings. Uh, if you're living in North America, you'll have two times that you could join Saturday afternoons or Sunday mornings. And for Europe and Asia and Australia, it will be on Sunday mornings. So if you're interested, you can head on over to my website, harmonyslater.com. You'll see a button there for Ancient Breathing 2.0. And when you register, before May 1st, you will receive the bonus modules of the mudras and advanced practices where we will look at mudras in the Hatha Yoga Pradipika, as well as some advanced pranayama practices and the Ashtanga Yoga lineage pranayama practice as well. We will talk about that and go over it. So it's a wonderful course filled with lots of information. You get lifetime access to all of the video content and classes with me so you can continue to learn and deepen your pranayama practice as we move forward. One other class you might be interested in is my free master class that will be offered on breathing exercises and techniques, simple ways that you can just begin a breathing practice if you're new. This is good for people of all ages and all levels, especially if they're not even yoga practitioners yet. These are simple exercises and ways that they can start to develop a breathing practice without any past experience of yoga at all. So you can find that information also on my website, harmonyslater.com. So I hope you'll join me. I'd love to work with you and help you deepen your knowledge of yoga and the yoga practices and work on the pranayama with you in these courses or in the free masterclass. But without further ado, I will move on to our episode today with Mark Roberts. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm so happy you're tuning in today. I'm here with Russell. As it turns out today, I'm the the uh, worst looking of the three people on the podcast. <laughs> this is That's... normal, but it's, it's re <laughs> certainly underlined today. That's because we're here with the very talented and handsome Mark Roberts. <laughs> Married. <laughs> you and I. You, oh. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? Hi, how many? Hi, Russell. I'm doing good. Oh, it's good. so nice That's... you could join us today. <laughs> yeah, thanks for inviting me. And thanks for such an introduction. <laughs> I, I have my own I have my own interview. Um, interview. Are you gonna just talk to yourself today? In, it's an intro. It's an intro. <laughs> I have my own intro. Um, Mark has been Mark Roberts has been a devoted student of yoga since 1997. Been fortunate enough to learn from many of the world's great masters. 2010, he became one of the few students worldwide to be certified in the Ashtanga Yoga method. It's widely understood that he is the best looking man in our community. <laughs> Has that been a burden for you, Mark? <laughs> That's not saying much for our, the men in our community. <laughs> well, you, it is a low bar, Russell, isn't it? No, yeah, yeah you're, you're forgetting the two Johnny Depps in our community. Who are they? We're, we're, there's, there's Johnny. Ar Johnny oh. Yeah, Arne. First it was Arne, and then Johnny oh. came and took the title of Johnny Depp off Arne. The real Johnny. Johnny Hag? 
or yeah, Johnny Hag, Johnny Hag, the yeah. Johnny Depp. They're you know they've got I like mean, little. I can't. Little... Com- they're in a, they're in another league. I can't compete no. with those guys. They've got like little girl faces, you know, like that appeal <laughs> to like twelve year old girls, you know. They oh, yeah. kind of, and they don't like twelve year old girls. What they're most frightened of is like real men like you. They've got a real <laughs> man's face. But still blonde and blue eyed. It's the like perfect the mixture. Brad, the Brad Pitt. Vibe it's the going. fucking Brad Pitt mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And that's no, that was, yeah. Peter Sanson was the Brad Pitt. No, I think you're a little more Brad Pitty. Brad Pitt was the <laughs> Russell Crowe <laughs> of our community. Oh, Peter Sanson was yeah. the Russell Crowe. Yeah, that's Peter true. Yeah, that's, that's true. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you're definitely the Brad Pitt. Peter would definitely be Russell Crowe. Yeah. And uh, Johnny and I would... Hag, I think, would definitely take the Johnny Depp. And I was like the Will Ferrell of our community. <laughs> <laughs> Russell, Russell's like the Russell. Will Ferrell. <laughs> yeah, he's got that, you know, muffin top and the curly hair. And like, yeah, that's the combination that I'm going for. But he's funny and you're funny. So there yeah. you go. Thank you. It goes a long way in this world. It does. <laughs> uh, many, many girls will tell you. Um, where, where, where are you today? Today, I'm in Hyderabad which is in South India. Why are you there? No. Uh, So we came here uh, March 12 last year um, Mm. in a kind of a panic because our intention was to have the baby here, but uh, we were sitting nicely in Bali, taking our time, and then suddenly COVID hit and we got this message that the borders were closing and, right. you know, March 12 was the last day to get back into India. So we frantically got tickets and flew here and made it in before midnight. And then we've and by been we, here ever since. By we, you we mean uh, Deepika? Yes. Yeah. Oh. See, I think of you as a kind of giant in our community. And I didn't have any idea who <laughs> Deepika was until our interview. But she's actually, like, like oh, super she's famous. A... Yeah. Yeah. I had oh, no totally. idea. I'm, not, I'm, I'm nothing in comparison to her over here in India. In Canada, yeah. I'm Seriously? also nothing in comparison to Harmony. That's, uh... <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. No, you're not Indian, though. Oh, really? <laughs> That's good. I'm glad you've done your research. <laughs> has, that, has that been a, a struggle for you, not being Indian? Uh, it, in what sense? In it, well, in my ethnicity, you know, we have to study Hebrew for two years before we can become Jewish. I mean, is that something that you had to do? Are you Sikh now? What did you? Uh, no, I mean, Deepika is not a Sikh, although she has Sikh bloodline. Um, she's Hindu. Oh, she um, is. Yeah. We didn't although really touch she, on that in our interview. She though. is an uh, interesting little fact here is that her one part of her bloodline is related directly to Guru Nanak, who is the, if you're not aware, is the guru of the Sikh right. tradition. She yeah, mentioned she's that. Act, yeah. She's actually related to Guru Nanak. Um, but uh, yeah, her family is Hindu. Oh. But um, no, I, I didn't have to become Hindu. I, I mean, from my experience of Hinduism and like w- what I've been through with the family is that it's very open. Like even we had a Hindu uh, ceremony, marriage ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I'm, I guess I'm born Catholic, but I would consider myself more agnostic. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, but there was no problem with me marrying into a Hindu family. Hmm. And you so, walked so, around the fire and did the whole the whole thing. Yeah, did the, did the whole thing. Yeah, the ancient Vedic ritual. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. And were you in India? Experience. Yeah, we had the wedding in Kerala. Oh, nice. We, we chose Kerala just because it seemed like a, a good uh, place for all, you know, my family and friends could could come to India and because Kerala was sort of accessible and yeah. comfortable. We, we rented a hotel there. And was it near the beach area? It was not at the beach. It was more inland. It was by a river. Oh, nice. Mm. Beautiful. Think- we actually thought about doing it in Mysore, but that didn't happen. No. Mm-hmm. Well, that's nice. It's nice to have your own private ceremony. And you've spent many years in India, so you're you're kind of an adopted citizen. Son. Adopted, yes. adopted son. Yeah. <laughs> adopted yeah. son of mother so, of yeah. mother India. Yeah. Do you that's did it. you do you remember meeting her parents? Was it was that was that awkward? Um, it kind. I mean, I don't remember exactly the first time, but uh, it was actually not surprisingly not too awkward. They're very, very loving and accepting people. They, you know, they welcomed me from the first day. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah, nice. So I, yeah, I was, I was very lucky in that way. I mean, because you hear those stories, right, about the. The, the traditional Indian parents and how difficult it can be for the future son-in-law. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was not my experience at all. I was very, very fortunate. Oh, I am very fortunate in that sense. That's interesting. I, I've been flying up to Canada for like 18 months before um, Harmony's father uh, understood that I was heterosexual. <laughs> <laughs> it was a total surprise to him. And it was... <laughs> And he was uh, no idea. Um, you, so you're you're, an, you're Australian then. So you're I, a bit like Chandler from Friends then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, any any person that you can think of that's that that seems gay but isn't. That's I'm that guy of our Ashtanga Yoga community. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think have, I'm not. Yeah, sorry. No, no. Go. Yeah. Please, we'll edit this say, out. Yeah. I'm sure when, like, just during this lockdown, I think we've watched Friends, like, and on repeat, like, so three times or something. Oh, man. And I feel like we're not the only ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of, uh, of binge watching happening. Yeah. Oh, God, there is. We've seen every show now. Yeah. Uh, we watched Arrested Development a couple of times. Yeah. There's a, there's a guy there, Tobias Funke, on Arrest Development, played by David Cross, who yeah. um, is the spitting image of my brother, but is, is the very closeted on the show. <laughs> and I keep thinking <laughs> he's like like me a great deal. Um, <laughs> so you you grew up in Australia. I have this idea that Australia is, a, is just a lot like Neighbours. It's like a normal <laughs> suburban life mixed with like surfing, but like really deadly insects, like East Enders yeah. but with killing spiders. Is that, is that basically your childhood? I mean, it is in a sense. We, you know, like we have the funnel web spider, which is a deadly spider. And, you know, we just find those in the swimming pool all the time. Oh, my <laughs> God. In the garden all the time. Yeah. 
<laughs> what do you do? How do you capture it? Uh, I mean, the funnel webs usually they kind of they they commit suicide by going to the pool. So you just have to <laughs> you just have to wait long enough. To find it up. Yeah, wait long enough for them to drown themselves, kind of thing. Um, oh so yeah, we funnel webs. We don't. I mean, yeah, there are definitely snakes. Mm-hmm. more in the bush rather than not necessarily in your backyard but depends where in australia you live you know and then we crocodiles great you know sharks of course yeah did yeah. you did you so. swim a lot growing up were you on the coast i mean i think everything in australia I, that's livable is on the coast right yeah pretty much so i did swim a lot um but i grew up i'd say it was probably half an hour drive from the beach so oh. i didn't so, uh, you know, you probably, I know you're going to think that I grew up surfing, but I didn't actually. Oh. So I, I didn't start surfing till my late teens. Oh. I was going to say, I wish I had have started surfing when I was three or four, but unfortunately that was not, uh, you know, my dad was more into traditional uh, sports, cricket, rugby, all that kind of stuff. So I grew up playing all those kind of sports. Was that near S- Sydney or, or did like everyone yeah, else watching Sydney. Neighbours, you hated Melbourne? So that, that's a kind of a funny story. Like Sydney side is actually, we don't really care like what the M- Melbourneites think. They're the <laughs> ones that are jealous of Sydney, right? We know we've got the harbour and the beaches. So we're like, we're cool. We know Sydney's the best. But the, the people from Melbourne are all like, no, 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 we've got the culture. We've got the cafes and all that kind of stuff. So right. they're like, you can you can have the cafes. We've got the beach and the harbors. We're cool with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you were a teenager and you started surfing, what what happened there? Where did you have friends that were surfing and you started going with them? Yeah, yeah, I had friends that were surfing, and I guess um, I'm not sure exactly how I got that sort of that fire got lit, but I think it was always there. Growing up in Australia, especially in the um, 80s Australia really dominated the surfing world so we had Mm. there were so many legends uh I guess that we kind of like it you know it was just part of our national culture was surfing was part of it Mm -hmm. so when I was old enough to be able to get to the beach I think um to drive I think Mm -hmm. so that would have been like 16 17 when I was learning to drive then we started to be able to get more access to the beach so then I started surfing then Right. Cricket and rugby, those are sort of more posh sports, aren't they? <laughs> uh, they are, uh, yeah. I went to a private school. So, oh, oh fuck, you're, you're posh then, yeah. Yeah, very posh. <laughs> <laughs> but then I, I got kicked out, so that's another story. How did you get yeah. kicked out? Yeah, that's the story we want to hear. That's the story you want to hear, of course. Um, <clears throat> so... Oh man, you have to actually, it has to go back to the first grade. So this is a, this is a story I'm sure everyone wants to hear. I was thinking about it. Like I, I've never done those kind of like, you know, um, those courses where you go into your, your past trauma and realize all your childhood <laughs> triggers and all that kind of stuff. But I'm pretty mm. sure if I did one of those like um, immersions or whatever, what would happen would be, it would go back to this first grade incident with uh, Mrs. Weber. I'm not sure whatever happened to her, but uh, so we were learning to tell the time. This mm-hmm. was uh, before digital. So, you right. know, reading the hands on the clock and 
she asked me, so Mark, what's the time? Tell, tell us the time. And I couldn't read it. And mm. she just said to me in this really kind of nasty, sarcastic tone, demeaning tone, she said, oh, you're not as smart as you think you are, are you, Mark? Oh. And I just was shattered and I just Dies said, inside. shut up, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's how fucking posh you are. You knew how then, to say that to it. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, and then, man. then she chased me around the classroom. <laughs> um, <laughs> finally cornered me and then took me outside. They pulled down my pants and spanked oh, me out oh, in the hallway. Fantastic. Oh, that's so and true. That's a proper education. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You know, and then my parents were called and, the, you know, the principal and, you know, the, they started telling my parents, oh, you you know, you need to, to do something about your son. He's got serious problems, blah, blah, blah. Oh. Thankfully, my parents were like, like totally disgusted by the behavior of the school yeah. and supported me fully. But, um, I think that was just, that was the first incident. And then there were many incidents after that at school. Like when I got to high school, there was another time where we had a good basketball team. Mm -hmm. And um, for some reason, they got rid of our basketball coach and they gave us the art teacher. <laughs> who She knew absolutely nothing about basketball. Oh, that's, like, that's offensive. That's, we ended up running insulting. a mark. I yeah. know it was. And we ended up running amok. We had no discipline. And I guess somehow I was the, I, they called me the ringleader of this, you know, like re rebellious behaviors. Actually, we were just angry that, you know, we didn't have a good coach. Right. And so then I got in a lot of trouble for that. You were um, like leading a revolt against the art teacher yeah. coaching the basketball team. Were you then, were you offensive to her face? Were you just no, dismissive? I don't think so. I mean, I don't really. It was I was so many years ago. But the other incident that was really stands out was we we're in the, this is at a private boarding school, a Catholic school, and the we were learning English. I think it must have been English or a speech class, mm -hmm. and the teacher was like if my daughter came home with a boy who didn't speak English properly, I would not allow her to date him. Oh, and I goodness. just said, but that's not a very Christian attitude, miss. And <laughs> I just got, I got thrown out of the class, sent to the, the year master. Again, this time didn't get the pants pulled down, but I got the, you know, six of the best. Uh, caned across the hand oh and yeah, was, that, yeah oh my god that burnt like hell that was you know like you just yeah. be I would, you'd just be standing outside in the corridor crying hand is burning oh, so gosh. you know that was my kind of experience with authority and it just it just seemed like i was always having run-ins for speaking my truth or speaking my mind you know um <laughs> so that i think I'll just continue. So then I think by that, the end of, by the time I was 12 or 13, I had developed a nervous stammer because I guess I was under so much psychological pressure at school. Mm -hmm. um, and that uh, I received a year report, which basically told my parents, oh, your son needs to go see a psychiatrist, blah, 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 whatever. Mm -hmm. um, which again really upset my parents, you know, that they were putting it all on me. Right. 
Um, and basically they, the message was, you know, he's never going to amount to anything. Wow. So I think somewhere inside that's been like part of my whole, you know, quest. That's mm -hmm. why I ended up, you know, you don't finish or nearly finish fourth series without having some burning desire to prove yourself. Right. That's sure, um, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and pretty much everything I do in life, there's, you know, there's kind of, I guess there's somehow I'm still proving myself that I am worthy, that I have been able to make something out of my life. Mm -hmm. So I think it all kind of goes back to Mrs. Weaver in the first grade. Yeah. Wow. That's know? interesting. I'd, um, I think it might have been Jürgen who was teaching Madonna in L.A., and I think she might have said to him something along the same lines, like, if, if you want to be famous and you want to be successful as a musician, there's something wrong with you in the first place. Yeah. And that's yeah. A, a little bit like what you're describing, the amount, the amount yeah. of intensity that you have to bring to an Ashtanga yoga practice to do fourth series, as the two yeah. of you have done, is it is um, it's a labor of love, but it is it is also it's got to be something driving you is, on a deep a, subconscious level. Is, is yeah. a self punishment there at a at, at some point, just to brutalize yourself in that way? Yeah, or is I mean, that too well, strong? I it doesn't. Yeah, that's a little too strong. I think I don't. I don't ever feel like I've brutalized myself. Although, yeah, maybe from certain perspective, you could say, you know. Why would you, you know, put your body through what what I've done? Yeah. Which yeah. one of your parents do you think you'd take after? I'm definitely a combination of both. Because um, mm -hmm. my mother is, I would say, more like uh, she's been the, the one. We have all the deep existential crisis conversations. Mm -hmm. um, because, like, I've ever since I, I can't even remember how long back it goes, but I've always had this question. I think I must have been three or four years old, like thinking or having this realization, you know, that death is going to be coming at some point. Um, mm -hmm. Sort of like, yeah, how, would I, how do I phrase it? Like I had this knowing that the universe had existed forever before I came and then, after I go, the universe will continue to exist without me. Mm -hmm. I sort of had that deep realization when I was three or four, and it used to scare me a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but I always used to think it's okay. Like by the time you were 80 or something, you would have come to deal with it. So right. just, you know, kind of forget about it. Um, but my mom is kind of got that same that same uh, burning question or fear, I guess, because she is very deeply connected to her uh, Christian faith, mm -hmm. particularly to her relationship with Jesus, um, which I don't know if mom's going to listen to this, but I think it comes <laughs> from uh, there's, a, there's a fear of the unknown, right? Of, mm -hmm. There's a fear of yeah. death and there's a certain uh, security in knowing that we're going to go to heaven that jesus is going to be there to you know take care of us mm -hmm. when we leave you know mm -hmm. so i get that from that's definitely something that my mom and i have in common mm -hmm. and she's you know continuously on that search and learning new things she's uh she was a lawyer 
uh, she retired and then went into art and singing and learning dance and now she's been the last 10 years really into Tai Chi um, plus her kind of Christian meditations and so on Mm -hmm. and then from my dad I get the more you know like the discipline of being able to you know he's been he's also a a lawyer but he's Mm -hmm. also he was a um, a squash player he was also Mm -hmm. From a very young age, he was a part of a rowing team. He was a coxswain. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get my height from my dad as well. <laughs> the, the, the coxswain is basically the, the little guy in the crew. Yeah. Um, so, but he went to the Olympics as, wow. a, as, a, as a coxswain. So a coxswain oh. is like their role is to be just basically the, the coach, the motivational uh, guy who gets everyone going. Yeah. Um, and then he ended up taking up squash and he became the Australian team captain. He went to, they won the world championships in South Africa. He was New New South Wales state champion. So I kind of get that sporting athletic kind of desire and ability, I guess I got from his genetic um, Mm -hmm. pool, you know? That's interesting because when, when harmony flies off the handle and I don't know if, Many people have seen that, but I certainly <laughs> Jediah and I get it on a on fucking daily. <laughs> we all we're saying to ourselves when that's happening, it's like, oh, she's being like her dad now. You know, like they yeah, they right. both have that burning mm. burning that's intensity to it, them. And that's I, interesting because when it comes to anger, I I have that streak and I've had it since I was a kid. My sister mm-hmm. used to get scared of me. Mm-hmm. I used to turn into the incredible Hulk. <laughs> but um Neither of my parents like that. Really? They don't have, yeah, they, neither of them have that at all. It's, so I don't know where I got that from. Because it's funny, because I was thinking about this, the attitude that you were taking to school is something that, that you learn at home. Like it's, it's you, you're your parents when you're in school in some way, aren't you? Yeah, but somehow, no, in that sense, I'm definitely my own. I inherited or there was something else that was happening with me because neither of my parents are like that. Yeah, it's the pitta. It's all that pitta in you, mm, all the fire. I have a lot of pitta. <laughs> yeah. I do have a lot of pitta. <laughs> but then there's both. this expression, no? There's this expression, whatever your parents repress, your children express. Yeah. So perhaps oh. at some level, my parents repress some kind of like anger or something towards authorities. And mm-hmm. I was, and it came out through me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's interesting about my dad is he's not, he doesn't, uh, He's not very like expressively angry. He's very like quiet and doesn't talk most of the time. But like if he has a few drinks, you know, he gets really excited about things. And then, I have seen that. Yeah. <laughs> which can come out not so much as anger, but just like talking and expressing himself. Expressing emotion. Yeah, expressing Allowing emotion. Allowing emotion to yeah. come out. So sometimes normally... it will be crying. Sometimes it will be like loud, yeah, kind yeah. of exuberant yeah. shouting. Like, uh, you fucking liberal. <laughs> <laughs> that may or yeah. may not have been mentioned. <laughs> I was the only one in the room, so no one else was witness. <laughs> so I can't prove that it happened. Um, gosh, wait, so it was your mom then that introduced you to meditation and yoga. Is that is that correct? Did I read that right? Yeah, yeah. That you weren't doing correct. it already. Um, so I think that must have started around the age of 18, 19. I think after yeah, I finished high school, then 
my mom started to get me into meditation. Mm-hmm. How did At that, that time, she was doing she was doing some kind of Christian meditations, and she started mm-hmm. introducing me to some books about that. She um, felt you needed it. I think she, yeah, probably, and also I was ready, I guess, because mm-hmm. um, I had spent, you know, I I'd had that as I spoke about the that desire about you know the meaning of life, who am I, why am I here, that kind of stuff had always been there. And that had also been part of my problem at school was like, I was thinking, you know, like we have this, you know, limited time on earth. We have this ephemeral existence and is like the system or, you know, what's being taught to us at school and, you know, the the path of life of just, I mean, I don't want to offend anyone, but at that time I was thinking like this idea of going to school, going to university getting a job, becoming a doctor or a lawyer, whatever, and just getting a house and a kid and a dog, and then just working, slaving away until you finally enjoyed your life at retirement Mm -hmm. was something that I just didn't, I didn't want to buy into it, Mm -hmm. you know? So I was always, I guess, rebelling against that uh, system. Yeah. I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, here, here we all are family yeah. householders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I've always, because I, in India, they have that similar kind of idea, right? The Purushatas, I think they call it, with the yeah. four stages of life. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, and so, you know, Ramachari, when I came Yeah, exactly. Sanyasan. Yeah. So I, and then, yeah, this, but the sannyasin comes much later, right? So mm-hmm. when I was, came into yoga, I was already thinking like, I don't want to be, you know, part of the system. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always kind of felt at odds with that kind of Brahmanical, you know, idea of how you should live your life. I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys ever felt that too. I mean, how many of you had a kid pretty young, but uh, I always, <laughs> oh, I didn't 30. even think I was going to have a kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's- yeah. It's a, it's a bit like um, Robert Moses. You know, he uh, he makes a joke that he's living the the stages, the Indi- Indian stages of life in reverse, because uh, yeah, after yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brahmacharya, after the student stage, yeah. he became a a sannyas. He was a, a okay, monk yeah, with the yeah. Shivananda, which you can't get married or, you know, mm-hmm. have children. Obviously, and he did that for many years, yeah. and then also like in his i think his 50s or late 40s he uh you know fell in love and and left the shivananda ashram as a as a sannyasin became a householder Mm -hmm. and ended up having three children Yeah, Dom, Dom yeah. is kind of doing the same thing. Oh, He's Dom? having all the stages yeah. at, at once. Dom is just living <laughs> in constant grasta. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I felt I felt very much the same. Like I really was rebelling against the system. And also yeah. when I got into yoga, I I had a, a lot of um just like resistance against having a family and even you know, I don't know, I had a lot of um I don't know kind of it just friction with this idea i kind of wanted to like join an ashram or mm-hmm. a monastery and just like do my spiritual you know work and path and not be in a relationship and all of that and yeah. um you know then my my teacher sri Pituari, i was 
speaking to him about this one day and, and he said, you know, something along the lines of, if you have desire in you, then it has to come out. Like you have to fulfill those desires before you can reach enlightenment. You can't suppress them because they Mm. will come out eventually. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so finding that balance of if you keep feeding the desire, it'll just keep getting more as well. That's true. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's always a a paradox in this spiritual realm, isn't there? So you're, this is like 1997, you're doing uh, yoga and meditation. Your mom's introduced you to some meditation. It seems still, um, if you pardon the expression, a little queer to do (laughs) asana (laughs) in Australia in 1997 as a man, as a strapping young man. You must have been just about the only one. Well, I mean, there was I was the only one because I was the only one in the class also. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, the first uh, class I went to was just me and my mom there. Oh, oh, so, gosh, oh is that right? Yeah. Oh, that You yeah. literally meant the only one, like the only student. Yeah, hey. the only wow. student, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, like, uh, I think, the 80 in the 80s my my mom used to go to yoga classes and for sure and my image of it back then was like you know mothers in their pajamas sitting around like with the, <laughs> you know the, the candle and some kind of like you know uh, mumbo jumbo sort of stuff going on <laughs> like an ouija board or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly if you've ever have you ever seen the elvis presley um yoga is what yoga does have oh i have that? i have yeah, yeah. seen that i've seen yeah. that on youtube that's fantastic yes. it's so, so weird that's so that's wild. how i envisioned my mother's yoga class back in the 80s <laughs> and did, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it probably was something like that <laughs> um, <laughs> did you ever see a, a clockwork orange by stanley kubrick I have never watched that actually. I think I've watched parts of it, but never finished the full film. It's, I mean, yeah. it's hard to watch. It is brutal. Yeah. It is yeah. like this post apocalyptic world of the, or dystopian world of the future where young hoodlums have taken over the streets. But in the, in the very, it, right in the beginning, there's this amazing yoga scene where this old elderly woman is doing just fantastic asanas in her upstairs. Um, living room and she's just doing a whole practice a whole routine in there and she looks fantastic but she's you know an elderly lady in the 60s she's probably like 40 right and (laughs) she's um in a full leotard and uh the boys break in to her house and they start accosting her and one of them grabs a sculpture or maybe she grabs a sculpture, a sculpture to defend herself with, and it's like mm. a giant white cock. <laughs> and like that's, it was like nothing could have been more perfect for that yoga room than for her to have a giant like phallus in the room. Exactly, a Shiva lingam. Yeah, she had a Shiva lingam, and it was like, oh, yeah. that's yeah, that's yoga, right? That's what we think of as yoga at that time. Tantric yoga. Yeah. yeah, leotard, the shag rug, I'm and gonna, the phallus. I'm going to go and I'm going to YouTube that after this interview. Is over. Yeah. <laughs> so, what kind yeah, of yoga so, class was it that you were okay, in with your so, mom? Yeah. Okay, so 
uh, just to go back to yeah, this Russell's question. So I had been uh, doing karate in my teens, or mm-hmm. as Ross and friends would say, karate. <laughs> so I've been doing I've been doing karate uh, as a teenager. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, martial arts kind of have that you know little bit of that spiritual energy, right? Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. You know, you. Um, and so yoga for me, like it kind of was a little bit more of like an extension of that physicality, but then mm-hmm. going more towards, you know, meditation and so on. So that's why when my, the class I went to, uh, he was basically teaching a kind of like a hybrid of Iyenga and um, Ashtanga. And also he'd learn a little bit from uh, Simon Borg Olivia, who is uh, the yoga synergy guy in yeah. Sydney. Mm-hmm. So, who basically was an, an Iyenga teacher who had gone into Ashtanga and so on and created his own uh, fusion. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, and I guess in those days, they, they were kind of the main options, right? There was like Iyenga, Ashtanga, and then, uh, you know, your, what they call Hatha Yoga, the Shivananda type mm-hmm. styles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that really like resonated with me because it had that kind of like, you know, that physicality something mm-hmm. that really attracted me as well as that meditative and you know spiritual type element mm-hmm. my teacher was he was not actually in india he was um he was from hong kong he was chinese so he looked a bit like a kind of a bruce lee right. so he yeah. had he had that kind of like m- or mystique or that you know yeah. that aura of like a mystery around him mm-hmm. um so i think that attracted me as well and then you know, I have that usual story that you hear a lot of people say is like after that first class, the Shavasana, just feeling as if, uh, you know, walking out onto the street and the world seemed to kind of be so alive and feeling that sense of oneness and mm-hmm. just, you know, without having to take drugs to feel it. I yeah. know that first Shavasana, it really yeah. is a gateway drug to yoga. It was totally yeah. psychedelic for me. As well. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it is true though, that, that for it takes for any person to like anything, there has to be some kind of hook that they resonate with yeah. personally and having a, like a dude who is super fit and, and, and had a kind of yeah. mystique about him. Like that allows a young white male Australian to, to say, yeah, I'll, I'll do more of that. And that, that yeah. makes sense. Be like, to oh, me. I want to be like this. Yeah. yeah. Cause you were really young at the time, right? Uh, I mean, what's I was twenty two. Okay. Was I? Yeah. 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 Twenty three. It was the same for me. Yeah. I was I was in college, so young. and I no. and the the Ashtanga yoga teacher was randomly my first class was Ashtanga yoga, and I walked in and he was just like this super cold Austrian, <laughs> like uh, Uber Uber and and it was like yeah this is for me this is like clearly where i'm supposed to be didn't speak to me for three fucking years i was like great i don't know oh, anything yeah. about this i walked out of it out of the, cl- the class last time knowing nothing about it didn't even know what it was called yeah. and went to another yoga class and i was like oh this is a this is oh it's a shtang- i do ashtanga i had no idea until i graduated school that i did ashtanga yoga yeah that's crazy does that guy still teach or practice yeah that he's super he's a um for the for a particular generation like with dom uh, or or eddie stern or uh, guy donahay like they know him really well that's suda oh, oh, okay. 
Suda okay. in Chicago. Fuck you. I've yeah. actually, you went to Mysore so soon, like in 1999, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. so soon after you started Ashtanga. You might have met, you might have met him there, Suda. I don't know. There wasn't many I people there. No, I don't remember meeting him. But that name sounds kind of familiar, yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, that the fact that I went there so soon, it's like, it was really, this is way before social media. So it was, in those days, it was really all about destiny, I guess, like really just mm-hmm. meeting the people who had told you about somebody else. Like the way it happened for me was I was moved from Sydney to Cairns to become a diving instructor. Um, and I asked my teacher where, oh, by the way, even though my teacher had this mystique and this aura and everything, his name was George. George. <laughs> <laughs> so I asked George um, where to, nothing against George. George, I love George. Um, uh, the it's, name as, George. it's as good a name yeah. as Bruce, really. Yeah. It's <laughs> exactly. That's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. So George told me about these teachers in Cairns, uh, Nikki Knopf and James Bryan. If you, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of them, but that Nikki was one of the senior Iyengar teachers in Australia mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, one of the few who was at that very top level. Um, so I, they were my next teachers. Oh, wow. So, but they were the ones who actually got me onto the Mysore style as well because they were, even though they were teaching Iyengar, they had a kind of a little self-practice group, Mysore style group going. Wow. Mm. Um, and then I asked them where should, I want to go to India because I was like really into traveling at that time. And they said, I want to go learn from a master over there. So they told me they had two options. One was uh, Iyengar and the other one was Batabi Jotes. And they said, well, you've got a three-year waiting list for Iyengar. So as long as you don't mind some pain, I think you'll enjoy going to Mysore to Batabi Jotes. Yeah, wow. That was, was yeah, that was a great recommendation. And then I know. I know we laugh about it now, but it's actually, uh, you know, now all that we know, it was like, it's a bit, uh, yeah, we need to realize that that was something not that was kind of, well, yeah, we can talk about that later, I guess. It was the same for me as, you know, I heard that, you know, Patabi Joyce was, was hurting people, breaking people, standing on them. Mm. I was like, oh yeah, Yeah. that's, that's for me. That's what I want. Sign me up for that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was a different time, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, we wouldn't accept that now, but in those days that was just we just accepted that was kind of like, you know, the Chinese, the Russians and those the old school Indians, that was the way that they taught. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I mean, I had a Russian ballet teacher who uh <laughs> walked around with a cane and would whack you with the cane, you know. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, in all your even all your um stories about yeah, like school right school. <laughs> of like yeah, being yeah. disciplined Corporal in school punishment. yeah it was very yeah. it wasn't as was... um frowned upon then you know i mean yeah. we paid the ballet teacher <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you paid for the beatings yeah and so did he so did his parents yeah. his parents yeah. paid for mark to be beaten by the headmaster <laughs> yeah. oh, so it was you know it was very i don't know it was it was just the way things were you know they'd smack mm. you and yeah it's funny that we yeah. can be so nostalgic for it, knowing how completely wrong it is. I know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it was... But we it, were, that was the, the consciousness at the time. I mean, I guess there was. Yeah. Obviously, there were people against it. Otherwise, it wouldn't have changed. 
Mm-hmm. That's true. I think the science says yeah. it's not helpful, but we still sort of think it's the right way to do it. <laughs> so tell us about your trip to India. Like what you were there a while before you actually got to Mysore, right? Yeah. So what were you doing? Uh, just backtrack a little bit. So I had um, I had finished my I'd got my dive instructors. So my plan was to travel a little more. I wanted to I wanted to go to India uh do the yoga thing and then i was going to go to thailand and you know see if i could find a job uh, as a diving instructor somewhere in thailand or indonesia i wasn't sure yet mm-hmm. um but in the meantime i had to go back to sydney to make some money so i was working on a lawn mowing gardening run Good. which was super fun and mm-hmm. it allowed me to uh to continue to my yoga practice so i would um do the I would get picked up for work at 7 a.m. or whatever and we'd finish by 3 or 3 30 and then I would jump on a train and go into uh, to the city and mm-hmm. go and uh, practice at yoga moves which is uh, Eileen Hall's uh, right. place yeah um, so back in those days it was like that was kind of like a the hub of yeah. Ashtanga in Australia, one of the few hubs. Like so going had, to like, Eddie's in New York. It was yeah, the it place was exact, to go. It it had that feeling. It had that smell. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you'd yeah. go up and you'd go up there and it had that smell. I don't know if you guys remember that, I, but it was yeah. the smell of like a yoga room yeah. of the sweat. Of and eight years, yoga years of sweat. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah. People's yoga mats, like just like they'd sweat in the yoga mats, roll them up and then put them away and just keep them there. So <laughs> like, just, like part of what you're supposed to do in those kinds of harmony didn't maybe have this as, as much like when, as a young student, but I, I would do that. I would volunteer to help clean the ceilings of old sweat. Oh. That's a job. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Somebody I mean, needs to do yeah. it. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, was Eileen so I, teaching I, I, in the afternoon then? Eileen was teaching. It was a kind of a rotating. I can't, there was also Peter Sanson. I remember like very wow. distinctly Peter rocking up into the office and Peter just sitting there chanting the Bhagavad Gita, not even like looking up and saying hello or anything, just <laughs> chanting the Bhagavad Gita and just like thinking, what, this is weird, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's, uh, you know, in that old, fo- that old poster of... Um, Lino's of Katabi Joyce and a yogi's life, I think it was called. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah, those old pictures from the Yoga Mala, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Eileen was there. Mike, uh, Mike and Victoria, who live in New Zealand. I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys ever met them. They were, I think they were my main teachers at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Mysore. So I, once I'd saved up enough money, I went to to India. Actually, I I, I went. I got a, a round the world ticket, so I stopped in uh, in the states first. I went to Eddie's. I remember going to Eddie's, wow. practicing okay. there. Good for you. And I met. Uh, I remember meeting Regina. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Your sister Shri, is that right? Yeah, sister Shri, exactly. Yeah, yeah, sister okay. Shri, and asking her like, you know, what's my soul like, whatever. I remember having a quick conversation with eddie and saying you know asking because i was into traveling it's like don't you like how can you just always go to mysore when you go to india don't you like want to go travel and see india 
Mm-hmm. In, in 80s, like very stern. <laughs> <laughs> it was the perfect name for Eddie, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. So he, uh, he, he just said, no, like once I found my guru, my life changed. Mm-hmm. Right. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're like note to self go travel first <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so yeah. that's what i did i went to the north i landed in delhi and i did you know went to rishikesh and went mm-hmm. up to the mountains dharamshala all that kind of thing nice. um had some crazy adventures made my way down to rajasthan and then mumbai and then finally to mysore mm. um and then was, yeah. was Mysore particularly weird or different for you? Mysore was actually so, like, pleasant after being in the north. Yeah. You know, it was like the north I found was pretty rough, you know, um, where and especially, you know, living as a backpacker in all those dodgy motels and mm-hmm. going from place to place and getting, you know, every time you'd land in a new town, like, you just get accosted by different like rickshaw drivers and, yeah. you know, all these confidence tricksters trying to right. like swindle you out of your money. Yeah. Was, I, I have you know, to... you had to really have your street smarts about you in those days. Probably mm-hmm. still, you still do, I guess. Mm-hmm. I have to say that I had, I had circumnavigated the globe. I, by the time I got to Mysore, I'd already been around the planet once mm-hmm. and right. gone to all these countries and my first weekend in, in India was was like shocking, shocking. I'm like, this is <laughs> nuts. Oh, yeah. I cannot be yeah. here. I did not want yeah. to ever ever. I didn't want to be there once I got there. I was like, this I was is the same. like whoa. I've been to yeah. fucking Russia. I've been fucking. <laughs> yeah. I've been. I've been. Had, I've had an AK-47 pointed at me. I do oh, not want to ever be. I don't want to be in this place. <laughs> I need to get, I need to get out. And I was, it was really difficult to land in India in a way that I could finally get comfortable. And it took, it took months before I felt like Mm. adjusted to being there. Oh my God. It's changed so much. Hasn't it? Like I (laughs) I was similar. I I had been to the Middle East. I traveled all through the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I got to India, it was just something else, you know, like Mm -hmm. just, just even the smell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like when you get like it, you don't get that so much anymore. But I'm sure you guys remember you'd land in Bangalore or you'd land in Mumbai or whatever, and mm-hmm. just the smell like it was mm-hmm. incredible. And then I remember the first night in Delhi, just waiting for a bus to go to Rishikesh, and it was just absolute chaos. Every you know half an hour or something, all the electricity would like shut down and then <laughs> like 30 seconds later all the generators in the city would start up and then it was just this noise and I remember this um cow just coming up to me and just shitting right at my like in front of me and then then this old lady this old lady this beggar coming up and like asking for money and then walking off slipping in the cow shit oh, landing no. and then and then just kind of dusting yourself off and then getting up and walking away and it's just like where the hell oh. am i <laughs> that that mm. reminds me yeah i remember my first the first weekend i was like trying to find something to eat i was terrified and i was at a market and the woman next to me just urinated yeah. just like standing next to me like not didn't squat mm. 
she urinated and then kind of like shook her her sorry a little bit and then walked off and like oh i'm not in fucking kansas (laughs) i've I've told Deepika these kind of stories and she doesn't believe me yeah yeah but she's from there (laughs) i know but i guess when you're backpacking you see a different side of it it's true because even now, probably that you're you've been living there for a year, you get so used to things that you just don't really see them anymore. You just mm-hmm. it's normal, right? You're just like, oh, yeah. okay. But and, I mean, I it's mean, life not is, normal it's way more for comfortable now. Yeah, well, now especially, yeah. Yeah, but Where, it's, where's my Wi-Fi even, password? That's the first thing you think of yeah, when you get off exactly. the plane, and then that's yeah. that's yeah. the last thing you think of. Like, I need the new airport. Wi-Fi. Yeah, but it yeah, yeah it, it was mm. definitely like a different a different world, a different planet. I mean, and even now, if you had never been there, it would probably still be pretty pretty shocking. Yeah, <laughs> your dad was pretty no, no intense doubt. for your dad yeah. last year. Yeah, or two years ago. Two when years was, ago. Yeah. Yeah, I took my parents here three years, so they've been twice now, and yeah, yeah definitely my dad kind of freaked out, like especially at the traffic. Mm. Yeah, it's intense. And then you know, and then the the beggars, and yeah, you know, you don't see much here, but like in, you know, if you go to Delhi or Mumbai and you see the lepers and stuff, that's yeah. pretty intense. Yeah, it is. Yeah, your dad had a little bit of a meltdown. Yeah, I think with the. The, I think the intensity of the crowds, you know, <laughs> I think Canada yeah, and Australia so. are sort of similar. We have a yeah. lot of space. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the intensity of the crowds and, and the crowds and the as clean, well. you know, the cleanliness in Australia and Canada, and then you disappear. Yeah. Like this is, you know, it's pretty difficult yeah. to look at that. I mean, I've kind of, I don't even hardly notice all the rubbish on the streets anymore. But. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've Sorry, for, yeah, pardon me, yeah. just every single time I've come back, my first feeling is, God, I could eat off of this, the, off of this road. <laughs> I could yeah, sit yeah, down yeah. On the, and I could eat off of it. I could so put bread <laughs> on the floor and eat off of it and just pick it back up and eat it. It's so clean. Yeah. Clean. But then, then you would always, the next thought would be, but it's so sterile, like yeah. everything, like even life, like I would, it would be so, so hard to come back to Australia after being in India as well, you know, in that sense mm-hmm. of like, just like I'd walk around the city in Australia and it would just seem so dead and lifeless mm-hmm. yeah. compared to being in India. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I totally, I, especially after my first trip, I really felt that mm-hmm. it was almost like, That's, it was almost yeah, depressing. Yeah, yeah. I was like, Oh my God, how can people live this way? <laughs> I know. And because one of the big thing here is you don't see much, you don't see many billboards here, mm-hmm. at least, uh, especially in, in Mysore, you don't see any really. No. And then suddenly you get back to Sydney or New York or Vancouver or whatever. And yeah. you're like, it's just, you get inundated with advertising and just yeah. this constant pressure to look like everybody else. Exactly. It changes the thoughts in your head, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. Suddenly you find yourself thinking, oh, maybe I should go to H&M and buy something new. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? It's so true. Yeah. What was it like for you then in 99 meeting Batabi Joyce? And, and I imagine was Shorat, was he practicing? Or was he teaching with you? He was teaching. Um, okay. So my first uh, meeting with Tabi Joyce was pretty I enjoyed it. It was pretty cool. I, I mean, first of all, it took me like an hour to find him because I, 
I gave this rickshaw driver, like I brought my copy of the yoga mall and I showed the rickshaw driver, you know, Patabi Joyce's photo. And I said, take me to this man. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> and the guy, you know, in India, they never tell you that they, they don't know. Even if, if you ask them which way is, you know, how do I get yeah. to the shop? They'll say, you know, even if they don't know, but it's, they'll tell you that they, as if they do know. Yeah. So I just hopped in a rickshaw and went on a wild goose chase. Ended Jesus. up going all over the place. Eventually Christ. landed up in, in Gokulam. Yeah. Um, and, oh, sorry. You know, we Lakshmi did Lakshmi 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 Lakshmi, 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 Yeah, yeah. But we ended up back in Gokulam. Oh, yeah. Lakshmi Pram, uh, And, yeah, uh, yeah found, we, were, we arrived at his house and, David Roach and Simi. Oh, uh, nice. Fantastic. So they were, they From were Adelaide. The people I met. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So neither of them Australian. The of, <laughs> neither of them Australian, exactly. <laughs> Adelaide with American accents. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So it was actually interesting meeting David because he was like, I guess, already in his 50s then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I think he was in his 50s. And uh, so I remember asking him, so like, why, what, what's your goal here? And he's like, you know, I want to see what this uh, practice does, you know, how it helps, what happens as you get older, you know? He's like, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a big experiment to see what, you know, what's going to happen. He's like, you don't see, there's not too many other people my age doing this. Mm. So um, interestingly, I met him again in Sydney, when he came for the Joy Shala opening, oh, he was right. teaching there. Um, so he was in his 60s then, and I asked him, so how's your experiment going? <laughs> and he, he was, I think, late 60s by then. And yeah. he basically, he said, I was going good up until I was about 61, 62. Yeah. And then he said, then something really started to change. Um, yeah. And he, he told me, and he'd spoken to quite a few people like Shandor, Dhamma Mitra, mm-hmm. a few others of that kind of age group. And he said they'd all had a similar experience, something around that 60, 61, 62 age, like just mm-hmm. something in the body just couldn't handle that uh, intensity of the Ashtanga practice anymore. He mm-hmm. also really developed um, a thyroid issue and he was really oh, struggling. Yeah, we were yeah, struggling right. with his weight and he oh, couldn't, really? he couldn't twist the left anymore and so like oh, wow. that was the first yeah. thing that went and um yoga nidrasana oh, went and then it was like he said he he got down to like you know five postures he could do and that's what he did and that's what the old guys all say they're like yeah I've, i do five postures <laughs> yeah i guess it all just depends what we consider old right yeah, I mean, and I think there's a, I feel like there's also a bit of a genetic component to it as yeah. well. Like some people. That's why I started so early. Yeah. <laughs> if you start earlier, <laughs> you have more time to, to progress. No, but... I mean, I, that's why I failed so oh, early. Oh, that's why you failed so early. <laughs> yeah. Genetic no, yeah. That, that's my theory too. Yeah. It's like you see the teachers that, or the students that start very young, usually by the time they're in their 40s, they kind of, I don't don't want to say burnt out, but it's maybe a little bit, you know, yeah. over it, that the passion is gone a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Whereas if you start in your 40s and yeah, you, you, like a, assuming, 
assuming yeah. that you've had some kind of a background like David was a dancer yeah. or some some people they you know they have more of a little bit of a cuffer body type so they've mm. still got that flexibility natural flexibility yeah. I see that they can go do very well going to their 50s and 60s with the practice mm -hmm. because yeah. they still have that kind of youthful enthusiasm for the practice yeah there's definitely some that enthusiasm definitely can take you a long way yeah for <laughs> sure for sure I think I mean that's a big yeah. part of it definitely. yeah yeah so you I'd like to I want to I want to ask you about Eileen this seems like a good time but I also want to ask mm -hmm. you what was how did Guruji how did he treat you in the room at that time like what was do you feel like he was you know genteel with you he he liked having a young, like this young, new young man in the room, or were you just anonymous? Um, I think the first trip, I don't think he, re I was pretty anonymous, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, second trip, there was uh, one moment I remember very clearly is, was uh, I had been, I don't think I'd finished my first week or whatever. And then it was the start of the second week. I finished Pazvotanasana. Mm-hmm. Mm. Or what had happened? No. I, so what had happened was he, after my first trip, I went back to Sydney and I started teaching at Islands. Well, I, I was an apprentice. Right. I wouldn't say teaching yet. So I was an apprentice. And that year, so that was 2000, I think, um, mm. she hosted Batavi Joyce and Sharat to Sydney. Right. So I, you know, and in those days, the groups were pretty small. So I, I met them. We spent time together and, um, so after that, he went, they went back to India and nobody knew that they were returning back to India and we had the opportunity to go to Mysore. Uh, so I went to Mysore straight away and mm. turned up in Mysore and there was nobody there. So I, I turned up and I was in the first batch. Nice. So oh. I was in the front, front corner with my, so at least, my girlfriend at that time. At least Batabi Joyce was there. Yeah. Yes. Yes. He was. There, we didn't do be, that. Before the internet was really like very yeah, widely exactly. used, yeah, you, you know, just, the word exactly. had to spread had to by word of mouth. Yeah. yeah. It took a, it took exactly. a lot longer to get the word out. <laughs> That's right. Because even though things weren't that big at that time, it was still busy in that Lakshmi Puram Chala by the time I got there. Yeah. Like I think the first year that I went, the the line was all the way up the stairs more or less going to the rooftop yeah um, wow. so it was right. still there was even if there was 100 or 150 students that was a lot for that yeah. small shala right? yeah mm -hmm. um so yeah so that second trip i guess he vaguely recognized me from sydney mm -hmm. when i turned up there and um so i got to the start of the second week finished Bajvatanasana, and i had done the lead intermediate class with him in sydney which nearly killed me, but I'd done it. <laughs> yeah. And um, so we'd done a week of intermediate. And then, so I turned around, I looked at, at Guruji and Sharat and, I, and Sharat oh, just no. stared me down. Oh he no. Just, he just angrily said, what? <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then yeah, Guruji, Guruji's like, Second theory or whatever, intermediate, you do, yeah. or Pashasana, you do. He yeah. said whatever that? Yeah. Oh, Sharat was so mad. <laughs> he oh. was so mad at 
think he held a grudge against me for that for many, many years. So <laughs> yeah. He's still um, mad. <laughs> still mad. It. Guruji just took me under his wing for that trip. Wow. <laughs> exactly. Amazing. Wow. I'm sure he doesn't even remember. But, yeah, um, but you saved yeah, yourself so like was... two years that way. That's <laughs> I great. Know, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was like the express method. Yeah. And then, and then I saved myself another few years the next trip because um, the third time I went was again in Lakshmi Puram, but uh, it was the last season there, oh, Lakshmi right. Puram. And the season was winding down. So that by the time I arrived, there, were, there was not that many students, but I was still in the last batch. Mm-hmm. So by the time I would practice, Sharat had already gone off to Lakshmi Puram to do teach his class. Um, it was just Guruji, but Guruji was kind of going in and out all the time, like right, yeah. having his coffee and doing yeah. that. So he was not, you could tell he was not really uh, watching. Mm-hmm. So I just snuck in a couple of extra passes. I think I finished myself on second. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did that one time. One time yeah. I, see, I had I had watched you, and I we can cut this out if you if you're not comfortable with it. No, it's fine. These days, I it's was like, you know everything. It's all out there, right? So it's all good. I was. I'm standing... sure. I'm, I'm sure. I'm not the only one who snuck in an extra pass here. <laughs> no, there was there was a whole and method to sneaking in postures. I, I was yeah. standing behind you by the office, and you had walked up to Sharat, and maybe I imagined the entire thing. Okay, but you had said to Sharat right in front of me, you yeah. know, with uh, Eileen, I'm doing Urdu Kukutasana. Oh. Okay, uh, okay. Is yeah. it okay if I uh, just do that? Yeah. And, and, and Sharat just like rolled his eyes and shrugged. Yeah, fine. And I was like, oh, oh I, okay. I wanted to fucking yeah. strangle you. I know. So I just got to me, that meant like five years. That was five years of my life that you had just <laughs> taken for yourself. <laughs> I know, man. So the next year I so, tried to do yeah. that. Yeah, and did it work? So what I did, I had, I had heard from Guy, you know, and Annie Pace, that like, this is the thing that you could do. And, and so I went, I just did my practice and I was already doing um, a little bit of third. Like I was, I had maybe... Um, oh gosh, what's the first one? Kashibasana? No. Vish- yeah. Uh, no. Vishis no, behind Vish- you. Vish- foot behind you. Yeah, yeah. First one. Kashibasana. Yeah. I was already doing Kashibasana, yeah. so it wasn't obvious. I was already doing Kashibasana. I was like, I'll just do Chakrasana. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I do Chakrasana, and the moment I put my foot behind my head, the second yeah. time, Shrat walks right over to the front of my mat. <laughs> oh. Yeah, like, and then like maybe I'll just do one more, <laughs> and I do Bhairavasana, and then like he's just staring at me. Yeah, and like oh man, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I'm too embarrassed of myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I finished. He didn't, say he didn't just stared at me the entire time, it's just, and then I stand. It's it's yeah. so much. And I stand yeah. up to do backbends and he's still, he hasn't moved like a rock. And he just looks at me. He's like, you think I don't know, remember everything, every posture you've ever done whenever you started or done them? I'm like, I've just died inside. <laughs> died like a wet flower, you know, just like, yeah. oh. Cut. <laughs> and then that was it for that season for you? Did he get never, you more or not? No. No, oh yeah, I didn't get another posture. Fuck no. 
Yeah. No, that was no. that that yeah. I got all my postures the first day. Okay. And then <laughs> and three good. months later, that was I didn't get any more. Yeah. <laughs> and so and I didn't get any more until the next time I came. Um, but it was just like I never st- I never stole a posture again either. <laughs> Jesus, it was brutal. Man. Man, I mean this I guess this is an interesting conversation, isn't it? It's like even like someone who's not in this younger world would think, why would you need to steal a posture? What's all that's about? Yeah. What is it about? And, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, something I've been thinking about a lot lately is like, if that whole like hierarchical system, that whole game that was being played, if that was not there, would would it have had the same magic? Would mm. it have had the same appeal? Yeah, probably like, not. I, I kind of think it wouldn't have wouldn't have worked. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot of it. I think yeah. it's a lot like karate that way, where if you don't have another belt to work towards, then why are you involved in the spiritual uh, art? Yeah. <laughs> and and if you could just give yourself belts, it wouldn't have the same value. <laughs> it's true, right? Yeah. You like walk but in it, and you're just like, yeah, okay, I'm just well, I'm ready I'm, for the next one. But if you I, could a steal belt a belt. Today. How cool yeah, would that yeah. be? Because... I know, but, but it, you would things would soon show up if you had to go in a tournament, though, wouldn't it? You had to yeah. go against people who were actually black belts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it's such a it's such an interesting thing to think about because in our like little Ashtanga yoga bubble, I mean, that was a really it was a really big kind of topic and and psychological yeah. thing is like practicing every day so hard so hard so hard and you might be like you know at your last posture and you know maybe it's like bakasana or something and like every day you're jumping into bakasana be perfectly you know and landing it like holding it for yeah. 20 breaths just to be sure you know does he see me now <laughs> and yeah, then like the corner of your eye watching to see if he's watching yeah and nothing right and it could be like a month yeah. it could be two months i think yeah. like greg nardi was in Dwipada for five years yeah and oh it, and he's like sitting there doing it perfectly. Like, yeah. is anyone noticing? We don't know the backstory. <laughs> that he may have insulted Sherat to his face. We don't know what happened, but yeah. that was cruel. <laughs> so, but yeah. but there was something really I don't know that like this idea that the teacher is can see when you're ready or like yeah. also is is kind of like destroying your ego by making you wait he can also see, right? he can see that you want it yeah and that was always the thing people would always say as soon as you stop wanting the yeah. next posture you'll get it yeah right oh, yeah, and yeah. and it it really worked actually because <laughs> try and pretend to look like you don't want it no but i, I have yeah. done that totally yeah <laughs> that doesn't that really doesn't work though it's almost like they can tell like you're just so destroyed and like emotionally like you're like i don't care if i ever get another posture i really don't i just fucking hate this practice (laughs) and then as soon as they feel that in you like just that complete like disillusion of your ambition and your desire and your ego then they're like oh here's the next one you're like Mm. and then then you're back in the game right (laughs) i don't i mean i think that i always had that desire and ambition even though i probably i would tell myself oh no no i'm not attached to this (laughs) you know but i I would be interested to like 
go back just for that reason to to practice in that kind of environment without mm. that you know because a lot of that kind of drive is gone for me now so yeah. I would be interested to see how what my experience would be just practicing for the delight of practicing without trying to go anywhere without trying to get anything yeah. it would be just like practicing next to Johnny Smith <laughs> that's what yes that, that's what that yeah, looks yeah, like yeah. or peter or sanson, peter sanson yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah both of them they're just like so yeah. so krishna about the whole thing but yeah. it, it's interesting because I mean, you do get to a place in your practice and i mean i'm not sure if you finished fourth mark or not yet but um it doesn't no, no. Not quite, but you're close. I mean, no, close. I don't <laughs> you're think very I'm, close. Yeah. As close as a hand yeah. grenade or yeah. <laughs> but it, well, I don't know for you. Like, finishing for, might have the same result, Russell, as, <laughs> as a hand grenade. grenade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, I kind of got to a, a place like really like in my, in my soul, <laughs> you know, somewhere in fourth series where I was just like, you know, I, I just don't have it anymore. Like, like, mm. I just don't have that desire to keep, like, keep up the regiment to the, keep up yeah. the, the, the pace. the pace, the pushing, yeah. the drive that's needed in order to climb that mountain. And I was like, I'm just cool here. Like, this is good. I just want to sure. kind of maintain as best I can. <laughs> For sure. Did you feel and, like that too? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it, I don't know how it just kind of happened for me that way. Just the last few years, that desire for the fourth series or whatever just fell away. Um, mm. But I think a lot of it probably comes from also like not wanting to have that physical pain or what, you know, yeah, pain is a good word, I'd say. Uh -huh. Like when even when I was like in Mysore at that time when I was doing all of third and most of fourth or whatever yeah. um I I used to have to take anti-inflammatories mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. you know that's like yeah. the dark side of the practice that nobody talks yeah. about but yeah. that's I, I I'm not alone in having to you're do not, that I think a lot of people you're not alone that. here that's for sure yeah our yeah. our last trip to Mysore I mean I hadn't like, really done it a lot but, but, but when you're grinding up inflammatories so you can snort them in the bathroom before practice <laughs> oh things God. have hit rock bottom yeah but to practice <laughs> yes. at that level day after day after day is it it definitely takes its toll doesn't it it does and you know I think all of us have know that it's not right but we yeah. you know we we turn a blind eye to it because yeah. there was something else we were involved in some other there was an that group mentality and just mm -hmm. we were just oh, willing we were striving to, man yeah we were striving yeah yeah when like and mark also Yao, i guess oh yeah mark yeah well I, I didn't mean to interrupt you but just like that that he was like the most advanced practitioner of our generation yes. yeah and he was rubbing himself with liquid ibuprofen every morning was oh, really? indicative of how bad off we were like that's like the oh for sure even i don't know if it's true but i heard that um uh gosh what was his name the guy from hawaii who was the bodybuilder and then became oh olaf uh, olaf yeah yeah i heard that he basically would be taking uh tranquilizers in the day yeah. and then uppers in the morning before practice yeah i see i saw his box 
all that stuff was in there ketamine and yeah yeah right ketamine is a horse tranquilizer right that's how yeah. i heard that but i wasn't yeah. sure if it's true so yeah. i mean that stuff is crazy i mean imagine if ramsky yeah. knew that right. <laughs> hopefully but, he's well, not listening but olaf wasn't ashamed of it he was right. he would say to me look look man this is better living through chemistry yeah. this is how i'm i'm managing this situation and yeah. um he had a very interesting background too because he was a bodybuilder before and mm. took a lot of steroids and was shameless yeah, right. about that yeah so he really right. had like a very um uh, familiar familial uh friendly mm. relationship with uh, chemistry yeah chemistry mm -hmm. i yeah. guess yeah <laughs> it was like a bit of a science experiment i think his body his practice I every, felt, his life all of it i felt was... like i wasn't working hard enough <laughs> like i wasn't taking i wasn't like diving deep enough because i wasn't shooting ketamine <laughs> i don't know <laughs> if it would have helped <laughs> but seriously yeah so i mean that was something right then because the way that the system set up that the advanced practitioners have become like the mm -hmm. the teachers that everyone looks to and I think you know mm -hmm. if you wanted to have credibility as a teacher you had to be doing advanced postures and all that right. kind of stuff so it was, it was just set up in that in that way yeah. it's really really true that the credibility that we carried home was from mm -hmm. the posture and that you could actually yeah. count the amount of money that you made by the number of postures that you got in Mysore I know. I mean, even if you think about it, they're great teachers, of course, that, that generation ahead of us, like mm -hmm. all the Chuck Millers and Richard Freeman and yeah. Marty and all those all those guys. But the only reason we really listened to them was because we'd seen them doing mm -hmm. advanced postures on right. YouTube yeah. or whatever. Yeah. The right? VHS park. With VHS, <laughs> David Swenson, you know? Yeah. 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 So there was always that sort of, you know, they came, went hand in hand. Yeah. There are lots of their friends that we don't, like Ricky, we're not into Ashtanga yoga because of Ricky Hyman. Like, you know, I am. <laughs> Ricky's amazing. Ricky's a beautiful soul, full of light and absolutely the most generous person you've ever seen. Yeah. But he didn't inspire a generation of Ashtangis with his backbend. No. You know, mm. And that's that's but, it's but a, it's when a, you met him in Mysore, he inspired you oh, with his his heart and his spirit and his personality. And that's what I feel about Robbie Cavallero. Robbie's a yeah, is Robbie's a, huge a great example. Heart. Yeah, I don't know if you know these guys. Uh, no, I don't actually. Okay, they're they're Californians. Yeah. But okay. it's I think also as you age, I mean, it just gets it gets more challenging. I I don't remember like feeling the the pain so much when I was younger, but definitely um you know i mean i did i just was able to deal with it and you know right. i was willing to to put up with it i remember having sore hamstrings for like two years when i first started <laughs> yeah my, yeah the body recovers my, quicker right <laughs> yeah but he was saying he was saying that he was sore all the time mm -hmm. but you still just persevered yeah. yeah yeah i guess maybe the mind's also a little more like willing he, like yeah. he's saying like there's the, that's the thing that's missing is our desire yeah to endure yeah can you yeah can you talk at all like about do you think you saw any of these transformations in eileen as you apprenticed with her because she's now we're now her age where she's you know you know she 
we're kind of going yeah, through right. this change of life that she was going through as you were apprenticing with mm, her. Did you, right. but yeah. she seems like just so absolutely full of fire. Was she always that way? Did it change? Did you see that transform at all? I mean, yeah, she was definitely hard as nails in, in those early days. Um, but I mean, she she always had a bit of a mix. Like she had this such a loving energy, but then she was very strict and authoritarian as well. Mm-hmm. And she could be she could be very cutting with her words, with her tongue. Mm-hmm. Um, and she came from that old school style of you know those adjustments were were rough. Mm-hmm you know and yeah. no modifications no props and all that stuff mm-hmm. but I, I always had a conflict with her that because she came from an Iyengar background mm-hmm. so she would teach privates um and she would use props she would she was she's actually an expert using Iyengar props oh, wow. so she would she would be using all the chairs and the and the, the, the bolsters and straps and everything for her private clients but in the my silver room, I was like, no props allowed. So I right. was always at a conflict with that. I was like, why is that allowed for private but not for the regular students? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, definitely she had some, she had cancer, breast cancer in yeah. around this age that I'm at now, I think, you know, her mid 40s. So that was a big life change for her. That, that changed her very deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, she went into a bit of a recluse stage. Then she came back teaching again. And since then, definitely she's uh, been transforming. And now she's uh, like just very, very open to learning new things. And uh, like she's a student of Ido Portal's method. Um, you are as well, the Ido Portal. Yeah. Portal. Yeah. Yeah. What, yeah. what so, is that? What is it? Um, yeah. This is, I mean, he, I guess, is the guy who, you could credit with making movement culture a thing. Um, even though, I mean, the term movement, you can, nobody owns that, right? But mm-hmm. this idea of a movement culture and that people can actually make a living now teaching so-called movement, oh. uh, I guess, really is due yeah, to the influence that, that he had. I see. Um, so he, you know, when I started, he was he kind of came from a capoeira background and then he was bringing in gymnastic strength training, um, which made him very popular. And then since then, he's, you know, we've been incorporating more and more things like dance and acrobatics and, mm-hmm. you know, all different rhythm coordination of some of the topics that he would cover. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a kind of, it's a very general term now, what movement, this movement culture. But the idea is very much the same as what yoga is. It's like, all these you don't not just practicing movements but you're using movement practice as a way to know yourself mm-hmm. to be a better human to learn more to evolve and all that kind of stuff i have a a question because you're very well versed in sort of these different movement techniques you're also doing like the natural movement i don't know if that's the same oh, yeah. or if it's slightly different yeah. and I mean, a lot of handstanding uh gurus you're going to yeah but mm. although what do you... yeah natural movement and handstands are very they're almost opposing ideologies right. uh, <laughs> simply because you know like we didn't evolve to balance on our hands right we evolved to be on our feet mm-hmm. huh. well what's what's your thoughts about like 
with the Ashtanga practice, how we're going through like the same pattern of movements every day, which, you know, can be helpful for like turning it into sort of a moving meditation type practice. But do you think there's any like negative side effects to like always moving the body in the exact same pattern of motion? Or do you think that there's benefits in like kind of coloring outside the lines a little bit from time to time? Yeah, and I think the people who do the best with like an Ashtanga practice are the ones who progress through the different series, right? So there's mm-hmm. a kind of, you know, they're doing, if you're doing primary, intermediate and advanced uh, different days of the week, at least you're getting a little bit of a more balanced uh, practice. Right. Um, mm-hmm. The people who are just stuck in primary for the rest of their lives or half primary for the rest of their lives and definitely uh, just it's very limited scope mm-hmm. of movement um but then you know okay so we have to leave aside if we're not talking about the you know what we say the spiritual benefits or you know the <clears throat> meditative qualities of the practice mm-hmm. just from like a purely physical point of view then yeah definitely it's very limiting mm-hmm. uh in its in its approach <clears throat> i think like when we started yoga was really sold as like it's everything yeah. You know, like yeah. yoga asana is everything. It's your spiritual practice, it's your meditative practice, and it's like in, encompasses all physical attributes that you'll ever need. That's mm-hmm. right. Um, we and I believe that. that, yeah, I believe that for many years. I used to have arguments with my brother, who's like a rugby coach and he studied sports science and so on. Like, he used to say, yeah, yeah, you, yoga, you can build muscle, you can get strong, it's flexibility, it's it's everything all in one. Mm-hmm. And, like, if Deepika would go to a Pilates class, I would say, why are you going to Pilates? Like, yoga's got everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Even when, you, when be, you would, when did you meet Deepika? Yeah. How long ago? That was uh, 2000 and end of 2008, we started dating. Well, yeah, that's, that's yeah. still fairly recent, just 10 years ago, you're having that argument with Deepika. Yeah, exactly. And so I was kind of like this bit of a hard liner for quite a long time. And then, I, I mean, I used to still like to run on the beach or I'd go for surf. I'd like to swim. But mm-hmm. in terms of like going to the gym or doing Pilates or doing some other kind of uh, movement classes like that, I thought, no, no, yoga is like we've got it all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I've changed my tune on that a lot in the last you know, five years. There's yeah. also this idea that like, look, there's one, one teach, one student, one teacher. What did Guruji say to us? Like w- yeah. two teachers destroying two the Two teachers deathing. Deathing. Yeah. <laughs> two, two, you, two, two doctors, two patient dying. Yeah. Like two that, doctors, patient like, dying. Yeah, and that's a big yeah. part of the culture is that if you take any other class, like for years, I wanted to go to Venkatesh in Lakshmi Puram and learn how to do backbends. And it was like, ah, oh, mm. what are you, some kind of, you know, debutante? Like, what's the matter with yeah, you? Yeah. Yeah, and so the exactly. idea of going anywhere else and studying anything else was was verboten to us. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, came to like a resolution with that when I started studying with Professor Rao, Nagaraj mm-hmm. Rao. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked him about this and he said, in his you know the beautiful way that they're able to you know uh, recite scriptures whatever he basically said something like you know just as the honeybee collects the nectar of many different flowers 
the students should also take the nectar from different teachers. Oh, and that's I was beautiful. like, oh, yeah, I was like, that's me. Like, that's how yeah. I kind of view my learning process, you know, like um, the Ashtanga and Sharath and Katavi Joe's Eileen, I learned certain qualities from them, mm-hmm. but I needed to learn philosophy from Professor Rao. I needed yeah. to go somewhere else to learn about chanting or I needed, and then when it came to physicality, I needed to go outside of Ashtanga to learn more. Mm-hmm. What what motivated you to do that? Do you remember if there was like a specific thing that broke? Yeah, or took yeah. you on this yeah. journey? Maybe I think Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be honest, how so? Like how so? You just started following like different people, or yeah, what? Just, yeah. I think I think like I think Dylan Warner was one of the first mm-hmm. ones that I started following and started seeing like a yogi doing all this other kind of more actually calisthenics type movement, like body weight movement, mm-hmm. strength movements. Mm-hmm. And then there was another guy, Lamont, the cyber yoga, it's a, mm-hmm. a guy, a friend of mine, and he was doing similar kind of like break dancing, b-boying kind of stuff, fusing that with yoga postures. And then I got exposed to, to Ido, um, and it just kind of triggered something. So it's like, oh, wow, like I can do all this uh, stuff on a yoga mat, mm-hmm. but I need to like warm up for like an hour and a half and then I can do a tic-tac, you know, yeah. Where, whereas I see these you know, like capoeira practitioners, caparistas, like they're just doing all these uh, flips and acrobatics, you know, just cold basically. Right. Um, I was like, oh, that, I'd love to be able to do that. I'd love to be able to go down to the beach and just bust out at some kind of a backflip or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of just set off this quest in me to learn something else. And then also the one on handstand that kind of like got, I got excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I think once I start, once that door opened, like once that gate opened, it was like, wow, it just led me down this whole rabbit hole. Like, wow, there's so there's this whole other world of exploration and movement here. And mm-hmm. because of my practice and my yoga practice, I'm actually, I feel like I can learn this stuff. Mm-hmm. Did you, were you always like physically gifted? I mean, because you're think- very, it, what you do seems to come so effortlessly, especially like when I watch you just kind of like go into these movements it really looks like effortless I've been yeah I think like as long as I can remember back at school I was always like one of the you know the better rugby players or Mm -hmm. you know better footballers and I was good at cricket I was yeah I was always good at sports Mm -hmm. I never I never excelled like I never reached like a state level or a competitive level in any sport but I was always, you know, I was always good. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So you have think, that like a little bit yeah. of an athletic kind of um, yeah. ability. The disposition, in a way. genetic yeah. ability, definitely, yeah. for sure. And I like to, I always keep that in mind when I'm teaching, especially, you know, yoga. It's like I never try to sell uh, a, a, a message to people that, look, I did it. So that means you can do it too. It's not necessarily <laughs> true. I can teach you my process and I can help you. I feel like become the best that you can be, but it's not, doesn't mean that you're going to be able to do third and fourth series. 
just don't mm-hmm. think everybody i don't think that's a fair message to tell people like i don't think everybody has that genetic potential i agree i you know i got into a little bit of a uh, argument over Instagram with someone who was telling women they could all lift up from Krandavasana. Oh, and, right. and I was yeah. like, I don't think that's true, actually. I don't no. think it's fair to tell everyone that they and should be able to do this if they just try no, harder. It's, it's speaking as sure. the first woman to lift up out of Krandavasana. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's not... It's it's, so true. It or requires jump back, like... Jump through is the other one. Yeah, exactly jump backs and jump throughs yeah it's just not everybody's going to be able to do it not everyone's arms are longer than their height (laughs) yeah exactly and that's a real thing like they look at this in basketball all the time (laughs) all right the ape index yeah yeah are your are your arms longer than the the height of your body and if a seven footer has seven foot three arms and they say, oh, great, he's yeah. ta- he's even taller than he looks. Right. Yeah. And they say this in, in football where uh, a center or a, um, a lineman, if they have short arms, they're going to have a short explosion and they may right. be yeah. strong, but they're not going to have the reach that you need. Right. And right. so these things are real yeah. in other sports, sure. but, oh, like, sure. but you can't talk about it in yoga. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. yoga is not a sport. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's magic <laughs> as long as you as long as you use mula bandha or yalam bandha you'll be able to jump back jump through no that's right that's right <laughs> i wanted i wanted to ask you a little bit deeper about the the search for different different sources of information because I, I i it's interesting and i think it's really critical to our community especially one that has this, I'm gonna say a a central problem to it, that for our generation, we're glutton for information, glutton for choice. We can go study with Eddie or Eileen or Dina or Harmony. Or Mark. And we have that choice. Or Deepika. And we can, (laughs) especially if you apprentice with them, you learn so much so deeply about a different way of doing things, about learning how to do this thing. And it's actually not necessarily the way that Batabi Joyce taught. And we, if, you, if you study with, you know, the, the, the how many certified teachers there are now, I, I'm not sure, but like at one point it was like, there was the 30 people that you could study with. <laughs> and if you went and studied with them, no one of them was going to give you the same teaching. Right. And, and so it was so great for us as students to have all of this information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that generation was all really learning from one guy. Mm-hmm. And they were all learning slightly different things. And I feel like that there's culturally right now in our Ashtanga yoga community, there's a problem with, are you studying in an orthodox fashion that that will rate in Mysore and Gokulam, mm-hmm. or, you, um, or have you learned something else from some other person that may actually be really useful, but not allowed, like say doing the splits and the standing sequence, which I really liked. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's your question? My yeah. question is, um, uh, <laughs> is it problematic to have that? Like dispersion? 
it's this, mm, it's a dispersion. It's um, we're spoiled by choice, but I think we're we're actually it's a benefit to us, like mm. Mark said, to be able to like bees to go to all these different flowers, mm. even though we're potentially shamed for it. Okay, I'm going to give you a long-winded answer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So I remember I watched an interview with Prem uh, in, from Bali a while back, and, and he was telling the story of how, like, they went to Mysore and, you know, they, they learned from Batabi Joyce, and he, he told them the whole story about the Yoga Kurunta and all that kind of stuff, and they learned this method, and they were so stoked with it right they had this practice and they wanted to devote themselves to it and the thought just occurred to me it's like okay so that was in the 70s at -hmm. that time krishna machari was still alive right why wouldn't you jump on the train and go to chennai and find krishna macharya find out like he was Pitavi joyce teacher why wouldn't you go there and learn from him and find out like even more about this uh, lineage and the whole history and all of that stuff and so that really struck me as like because at that time that was not the th- thought process mm-hmm. they found their teacher they found this thing they believed this teacher they trusted this teacher so they devoted themselves to it whereas nowadays i feel like there's this this inquis- like this inquisitive nature we want to know everything we want to know the whole history we want to verify everything that people have said and find out whether or not it's true or not. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and particularly, like, uh, you know, there's been this rise in the last 15 years or 10 years, particularly of these you know, Western scholars mm-hmm. who are really going into the whole history of yoga. And, I mean, Mark Singleton is the one yeah. who really kind yoga of body. caused it. Yeah, he caused an uproar and disturbed the community in a big way with his book. Um, but... You know, like there was this. Uh, there's a if you you remember the movie Enlighten Up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know sure. if you guys saw that. Yeah, Norman there's Allen a scene, was in it. Yeah, yeah. So it's a great film, but there was a scene in that where the interviewer asked, like Rodney Yee, Goma Kulkosa, Baron Baptiste, uh, this other LA yogi I can't remember um, who her name right now, but uh, basically, he's like the interviewer was like, "So how old is yoga?" And Baron Baptiste is like, mm, you know, I really don't know. I think it might be like 5,000 years old. And then Gormok comes on and says, this yoga is 40,000 years old. And like, you know, like, like they're all like saying this, like they, they look kind of, they don't, they don't know. They just, you can just tell yeah. that by the look on their faces, they're just kind of startled by the question, except for Gormok, she's very confident, 40,000 years old, yeah. um, except that we know like, from history, the industrial revolution, I mean, the agricultural revolution didn't start until 10,000 years ago. Right. So people were, you know, there were no communities 40,000 years ago, people living in tribal cultures of a maximum of 150 people together. So yeah. it's very difficult to say that this yoga tradition comes from 40,000 years ago. Right. Um, you know, so like, I think there was a gap there in terms of our understanding and knowledge mm-hmm. of the history of yoga. And these, the Western scholars in the last 10, 15 years have come in because there's been the funding, there's been the, in, there's been the opportunity mm-hmm. to actually go and study this stuff. Like before, if you think about all the knowledge we had, like for me, I would 
if I wanted to learn about the history of yoga, it was basically from Georg Feuerstein mm-hmm. yeah. or yeah. from exactly. Richard Freeman, yeah. uh, for example. But if you think about well, those guys, they were not academics. They were right. doing their own scholarship, but they were not academics. They were not being paid to go to India and search through libraries and find these ancient manuscripts and do all this kind of stuff, right? So there's now we just have a lot more information and it's amazing. It's incredible. But the downside is that kind of like this, you could say like with all that questioning, you lose, coming back to your point, Russell, Mm. is that you lose that uh, original sort of like seeking or quest or like that faith let's say that Mm -hmm. devotion to one teacher one and just trusting that that teacher knew and just believing that and then just following that because that does that's part of the yoga sutra is to practice with devotion and faith for a long period of time yes and it really one truth yeah and it really does help to to stay stay the line well, doubt Absolutely. is one of the obstacles. Well, doubt is one of the obstacles, yeah. <laughs> because it yeah. creates confusion. Yeah. And so you should but always feel convicted. A healthy yeah. skepticism, we know, is a, is a good thing. It is yeah, good, it, it for sure from, is. from being abused, for one. Well, that's it. So that's if we go back to that, that, that mm-hmm. the reason why all that, uh, the, the abuse and all that stuff that we did was in the, in the community, um, putting up with, you know, pain and injuries and all that stuff was because and humiliation. Was, <laughs> yeah, it was because there was not as much access to each other and mm-hmm. to social networking and you know information and you know so that uh, that uh, that allowed that culture to develop. Mm-hmm. There's so, a, yeah, a another big piece of our community which I don't think is really relevant anymore i think it's like there's a lot of i think a lot of what we're talking about is elements of our community that are not as relevant now as they were 10 20 years ago mm-hmm. another one of them is the list oh yeah the Ooh. list which oh, yeah. for most of our community most of people who are listening they may not even know that there is one or get taken off the list yeah or get taken <laughs> off the list. yeah and 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 being on that list was like the most important thing in our lives that's and right, yeah. and I and you got taken off the list. Mark. You've been taken off the list a number of times. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I'm yeah, no longer on the list. Are you? Are oh, you out you've now? You've been taken off for good again. No, I mean I could be on it. I think, but I just didn't fill in the form and send it back in. So oh, yeah. oh probably yeah. off the list then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk about that? You got to fill out a form. Can you talk? <laughs> Harmony made me fill out the form. Can, can you talk about that at all? What that experience is like um, negotiating that with Sharat and with your teacher, this, this thing that's really important that has been taken from you and having to get it back somehow and then be taken off again. What Can you tell us what that's um, like? That, yeah, I guess... Yeah, it's interesting you, you make that point about the list because, yeah, I, it was so important. And when I got taken off it, it was such a big deal, you know, like it really hurt and it yeah. was like a lot of uh, emotional kind of story around it. Whereas now I, it's, it just almost seems funny, like the list, like, what is that? Like, <laughs> I know. 
yeah. but you know in the, the, the second time I got taken off the list I, it actually kind of in in a, a weird way it worked in my favor because there was like all the legends were taken off the list like that's Chuck right Miller, Richard yeah. Freeman right. And Tim Miller and this one and that one and then there was Mark Roberts like suddenly because <laughs> I, I was Legend not in that man. league right yeah. yeah exactly I was I was not even in that league or that generation and suddenly in my name was associated with all those guys so I was like oh that's okay. right yeah you got it's elevated not... you and Alex yeah. Medin just like rose in yeah. <laughs> seniority yeah. like little, we're gonna little we're gonna notoriety. talk I remember the first time, I, mean, I think it was the, the first, first time, time you got ta- taken off the list and you texted me and said, because I was with Sherrod on tour and you said, oh. ask Sherrod why I got taken off the list. Oh, that's right. That's oh. what I wanted to and ask. And I was like, oh, I was, yeah. shit. Why I gotta, did I? I got to ask him. So we're in Walmart. That's right. Shopping for pens. Oh, really? We're in Walmart yeah. and you asked Sherrod about I Mark. Said, so Sherrod, I, I got a question because you're my friend, Mark. And if you ask me to do something yeah. and it's in my capacity yeah. to do, I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb oh for you and God, do it. You did it right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I am. I'm going to, cause that's the kind of person I am. If you're my friend, I do go out on a limb for you. Oh if it's within my power to do. And this you was asked him in Walmart. right there. So we're, we're in Walmart. Pens. Yeah. Something like that. And these uh, pens that are much cheaper at Costco. I think we should go. <laughs> I said, uh, so Sherrod, can I ask you a question? Um, well, you know, you know, Mark, Mark Roberts, why did he get taken off the list? And And he looked at me. You should not be asking this question. Yeah, he like gave me that look, you know, like that. And first he was kind of surprised that I was asking the question because, and also surprised, he almost seemed surprised, like maybe he didn't know you'd been taken off the list. Yeah, yeah, that's possible too. And what year was that? Do you remember? Oh, it was 2016. Maybe 2017. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, 2016, 2017, 2017. I think. Yeah, and then he, and then he like looked at me with disdain and said, "You should shouldn't be asking these questions. Tell Mark to email Usha." Yeah. I said, "Okay." Oh, right. okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so, I like I tried, Mark. I really tried to it's like. It's no, really it's it. like it's like he didn't know, he, and he did seem a little surprised. Oh, actually, Mark like, off the list again? No, I don't know. It was weird. It was I think a very that was the first response. time. Yeah, that was the first time. Yeah, it was almost I mean, like get him to talk to Usha. I have no idea what's going on. I'm in America on tour right now. But you were like you were going to India. You were part of the generation that like. There were a lot of people taken off the list because they didn't come anymore. Yeah, but no. you were. I was, his, I was the first uh, one that he certified. Yeah. I mean, Jürgen, but Jürgen was not actually going there at that time. Right. Um, so, yeah, I was like, you know, one of his, one of his. top students, I guess, right? Yeah, I'd been, for sure. Whenever he'd do the demonstrations, like at Mysore Palace or the Ayurvedic thing, yeah. I was the one. I yeah. went to China with him. Yeah. So there was all that stuff. And then, but the thing was, there was, I'm pretty sure it was Ganapati was the one who had been telling him oh. about what I was up to. He, he, he's a sweet guy, but I'm pretty sure that, uh, he, that influence is long gone now, but yeah. people would email me like Tarek would email me, Magnolia would email me. Hey, we hear you getting taken off the list. Blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, so that was all that going on. So much um, but drama, the second right? it was it was like being in school yeah and then the second time 
was around that was the time of the me too mm-hmm. mm. so that's when all that started to come out yeah, all so, the senior teachers got taken off yeah. yeah so I have my own theories about what happened there like I had done a there was at that time there was a Facebook group like the Shanga Facebook right. group yeah that's not right. the home practitioners one but it was a teacher's group yeah um mm-hmm. and basically all the stuff had come out Mary Taylor to- voiced her story mm-hmm. and you know Karen yeah. Rain and everything and I was kind of like in a bit of a state of shock and I expressed on one of those threads that was going on around about that topic. I just said, you know, I feel really sad that my teachers, my mm-hmm. mentors and, and so on had never talked about this openly. Mm-hmm. You know? I remember you saying and then, yeah. And I got kind of attacked by some people saying that's bullshit, Mark, you knew about it, pa, 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 whatever. <laughs> um, but what I think happened I don't think it's a coincidence is that that Facebook comment was shown to Sharad and I was seen then as, you know, right. a threat as someone yes. who was going to speak out about this issue. So right. I was, I was taken off the list. I'm pretty sure that's how it all went down. Like anybody who was potentially connected to right. like that story, the Tavi Joy story mm-hmm. was taken off the list because Sharad basically realized it was time for him to create his own, yeah yeah you know to to distance himself from his grandfather's teaching and create his own name and brand Mm -hmm. yeah it was really difficult for us all to understand I I think because for us it was the community and we were all in the community and we were all part of this thing called Ashtanga not realizing that Sharat and Patabi Joyce and Saraswati saw themselves in different camps Mm. that they were yeah. doing different things with different bodies of students. Mm-hmm. I was like, hang on a second. We're all in this. I thought we were all in this together. And you're yeah. saying, and you're saying that Richard and Eddie and they're all, they're all outside of your camp. Mm-hmm. And like, it was, yeah. it was bananas to us. Yeah, we couldn't well, wrap our head around the idea that that notion that these it older was a students. missed opportunity. Yeah. Mm. I feel like that was, that was an opportunity there to, like really unite all the mm-hmm. different teachers mm-hmm. um, and make the community, you know, much, you know, the solid said what happened was it just really broke it down into different factions. Right. Yeah. And different camps. Yeah. yeah. And then mm-hmm. everything That's... suddenly realized, oh, wow, this whole, this concept of the community and the method and whatever the practice and the thing that we think unites us is actually very fragile. It's, it, it is, a, it's in a sense, it is a concept. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And it's actually, I think it's the friendships that are real. Mm-hmm. And then the, like, I would say, like, even if like, say I stop practicing Ashtanga or you guys stop practicing Ashtanga, I think the friendship will remain. I hope. You For sure. I mean? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you, you'll be like oh so what are you up to these days or you know like oh that's cool what how, how did you get into that or whatever instead of yeah like oh my god he doesn't practice anymore He's yeah the, the enemy yeah um, there's there's a it's feeling true. like you know gustav and mark yao they're like for a while they were like outside the community because right. they were like right. gustav was weightlifting and mark was whatever the hell he went up to, you know, but as I, yeah, never heard, I never met Gustav, but I heard he had an amazing practice. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was he was a, a Swedish hairdresser, right? Swedish hairdresser, yeah. absolutely gorgeous. And he was like, um, the thing that I feel... You're sounding that, very much like Chandler right now. <laughs> Chandler. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you about where we, we go from here. And I, you really kind of set it up beautifully because it really is about our relationships. We have these friendships with people that we, we endured some hairy shit together. And that's always going to link us the rest of our lives. But without having belts, without having a Mysore to go to, without um, having one teacher to follow, what is it, what do do we have as a, as a community? And is that, do we have that? Or is it just people that we, we know? I was, I've been thinking about this in terms of like, you know, when, when we started, uh, we had that older generation, right, who were our age now they were in their 40s then and they had you know they had the promise of yoga right yoga Mm -hmm. had this this uh it was seen as it was the elixir the fountain of youth that's you know the amrita the nectar Mm -hmm. um it you could you know live the yogic life and everything would follow you know even that teaching but patavi choice all is coming um and I watched a, a documentary recently. I can't remember the name of it, but it was like all about Ram Das and all that generation, the seventies, all those early explorers of that, that hippie culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought to myself, that was such a big social experiment. And did it did it work? Mm. And I think uh, you know we're now we're at a stage where you know all that generation in their 70s or whatever late 60s 70s mm-hmm. um and you know then you don't really hear too much from them because they're not on social media so mm-hmm. now we're it right we're mm-hmm. that uh, generation that have been practicing for enough time to have some have a voice that people listen to mm-hmm. um yet we have kind of we've got the questioning mind about whether that promise of yoga really works <laughs> i know i i i have that doubt right so yeah. that's why i've been exploring outside and uh, outside of the method and, and also because we're so now we're with the whole field of neuroscience and all this biohacking and all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff like we're exposed to other people who are doing similar type, type of things as us uh, mm-hmm. But they're not practicing asana, but they're doing similar things with the mind and the breath and, you know, yeah. the physiology of the body. And I feel like these elements are very, very interesting and I think uh, much more attractive to the new generation and much more relevant even. Like, uh, I don't know if you guys follow Dr. Joe Dispenza. Mm, yeah. Um, you do. But he's, a you know, in neuro, into neuroscience and stuff and mm-hmm. he's a... Uh, Whole, one of his like catchphrases is science is the new language of mysticism uh, before uh. it was enough before it was enough to know now we need to know how mm-hmm. we need to know how things work before like when we were learning Ashtanga it was just told us this you know practice all is coming and mm-hmm. that was it you just knew but now every, we want to know how it works. Like how does breathing yeah. affect your nervous system? How do the postures work? Like do they really 
uh, heal the body, you know, mm-hmm. right. um, yeah. all this kind of stuff. So that this new Eddie's very much involved with this fusing of uh, neuroscience with uh, with mm-hmm. yoga. It's it's really when you when you start seeing that your your physical affect or your mental affect is a is a is a direct correlation to neurotransmitters like, mm. Oh, this is a serotonin response. I'm having a dopamine mm. response. It's yes. like this. And then you start to see that mysticism is really a chemical reaction. Yes, exactly. So this, I feel, I feel like this is a kind of a part of the future mm. of where we're heading is starting to people this will become more and more common, uh, understanding people start to really view, uh, practice through this kind of lens which will have an effect on what we do physically because we know actually it's probably not such a good idea to be doing a practice that is depleting you of energy yeah um you know or Uh, dehydrating you or dehydrating (laughs) you or or preventing you from without sleep without sleep yeah (laughs) we're all like sleep more sleep more (laughs) you you said that to us the other day um about the um, about the habit or the lifestyle of the Ashtanga Yogi and all the things that go that are wrapped up into it. And you, mm. you, you were saying that, like, if you look at the things that we we did to ourselves, and you think of it through a kinesthetic science and what we know about kinesthetic science, it's really yeah. wrong. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the first thing most people would tell you now is get better sleep, more mm-hmm. sleep, and make sure you're very hydrated. And then, you know, food, again, is, is another thing. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that lifestyle that we were living in my sort of basically not eating after 12 o'clock and then going to bed, whatever, trying to go to bed early but not being able to sleep and then waking up at 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. to do a very intense practice. Mm-hmm. Is, um, I mean, we had to, we were viewing it through the lens of tapas, or tapas here, right, I guess. Yeah. And I think that it does, it's, uh, in that sense, that's valid, um, but I, it's not something sustainable. Yeah. yeah. I think that's something that we've, most of us, especially when you have, once you have children, you really, mm. really realize how not sustainable that lifestyle is. <laughs> For sure. You, you, there's just, there's no way you can get up at, you know, two or three or four in the morning, nor should you, because you really do need to have proper yeah. sleep in order to function. Mm-hmm. Although sometimes when our baby wakes us up at two or three, I think, shit, I should just get up and practice now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, then you'll have to nap, take a big, yeah. long nap later in the day. It's, yeah. it's so infuriating, though, because not only were we doing that in Mysore, but then we would go home and try and do that in Sydney or Calgary or, you know, (laughs) uh, San Francisco. You you try and get up at 2.30 in the morning, prep yourself for practice, do a practice that you can get done by six o'clock. And then you teach. And if you're you're in any way good looking at all, you'll have privates the rest of the day to sustain you. And um, I never had any privates, but then, <laughs> um, then yeah, you try and get to bed at eight, oh, yeah, nine, eight, eight, yeah. nine's getting late. Wake up at two thirty. You never yeah. see anyone. You have Eileen no social life. Yeah. Eileen's been doing that for many years. She's able to do it. 
quite I know. amazing that she but doesn't it's, have kids. Yeah, she doesn't have kids. And you, like also a lot of teachers who do it, you know, you either have to have a partner who does the same thing or be single. Yeah. Because otherwise yeah. your relationship dissolves too because you never see your husband or wife because sure. they're wanting to stay up later and they don't want to get up at four in the morning with you. Yeah, I mean, I used to do it and but I, it's not, again, it's just it's not sustainable. But, and the thing is there is a lot of pressure or at least there used to be in the Estonian community. Like there would be people like publicly stating that anybody who doesn't practice before they teach is like a very bad teacher yeah not a true not a true teacher not a true practitioner i think it's still out there mark (laughs) actually richard freeman was the first person to suggest anything different to me Mm. and i told him what time i was teaching in taiwan i was like oh i start teaching at six it's like oh yeah you should probably (laughs) practice afterward i was like what (laughs) what yeah you're going to want to sleep. <laughs> and then and then one day, this was a miracle. I was in Vegas, Las Vegas, Nevada, and I was driving Sherrod and his family around to go to the different rides and go to the Cirque du Soleil and do all this stuff. I was I was driving the the Cadillac Escalade for them. And I was opening up all the doors for them, making sure they got in and out of the car. And and Sherrod said to me, this was the fucking most surreal thing I'd ever heard. He said, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about practicing in the afternoon, you know? <laughs> I'm kind of tired. <laughs> I was like, whoa, whoa, shut the front door. Wait a second. I was like, screeched the car to a halt, you know? <laughs> oh, damn. Wow. And he didn't do it, but that he was yeah. thinking about it meant that we could yeah. think about it. Get some sleep. <laughs> you could think about it, but not actually do it. Not actually do it. You know, but it's okay to think about, like, you know, have a life that doesn't. But I mean, but it is the problem with this younger practice in the sense of, like, if you do practice later, that means you probably haven't eaten anything. So, like, yeah. if you've taught and then you practice afterwards, like, you would end up not eating sometimes till midday. Yeah. yeah, that's why I can I can really actually most days uh, I don't really need to eat till noon because my body's so used to doing it. Doing mm. it because since I had Jediah, always I would not practice then, at three in the morning. <laughs> I would sleep and I then remember. teach and then practice and then like eat at like eleven thirty or noon. <laughs> but you know, I met John Scott recently, like a few years back. Yeah, and he was telling me he ended up having some serious health problems because he was doing that for so many years, really? like teaching and practicing and not eating till midday. And he was basically just had depleted himself. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't really know, to okay. be honest. Okay. Yeah. But right. what's your routine like now, Mark, with your new baby? Uh, it's pretty much all over the place. It keeps changing. <laughs> it really just keeps changing. Like a few weeks ago, I had like a little stretch where I was like, oh, wow, I can get back into my morning practice again. I was practicing while um, baby was having her breakfast and Deepika was feeding her. But sudden, I don't know, somehow that just disappeared. <laughs> and now, now I'm like, my mornings are pretty much with her. Like, yeah. so from... Yeah, I get up around 6.30, just I, or six between 6 and 6.30, and I try to just have half an hour or so before she wakes up 
And so in that time, I've just had I drink a coffee and write in my journal and do some breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, I'm always breathing, but do some specific <laughs> breathing practice. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Yeah. I know. So yeah. Do a little breathing practice and maybe some meditation if there's time. But actually, even that seems to have gone. I had, like, for a while, I had this routine. It's like, yeah, 15 minutes of breath practice and another 10 minutes of Vipassana. Yeah. And I was getting that in now the last two weeks. That's even gone. So it's like <laughs> I've just got to, I wake up, I drink my coffee and get ready and then uh, mentally for what's coming. Yeah. <laughs> and then she wakes up and then I take her for a walk. I take her outside, for, you know, and then I take her up onto the terrace, get a little bit of sunshine. Mm-hmm. So that's all like I try to get her. That's around 8 o'clock in the morning, take her up to the terrace and then 8.30, either give her a, a bath um, and then it's a breakfast time. Yeah. So getting mm. things ready for that and then that ends up going to about 9.30 or 10. And then that time is when Deepika will put her to sleep. Yeah. Um, I, I usually hang around then. And then so she usually naps around 10, 10.30, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a time to do either some practice or do some, you know, work. Yeah. Whatever, right. emails or housework or whatever, <laughs> getting things ready. Um, then it's her lunchtime when she wakes up. So 12.30, whatever, so 12.31 or so is lunch mm-hmm. and a little playtime. And she has her afternoon nap around between three and four. And that's yeah. when I go and that's when I'm doing my main physical practice now. Yeah. So I, I go up onto the terrace and just do my thing. Nice. From like four till six. In the sun? I uh, have a little shady spot because no, it's too yeah. hot at the moment mm-hmm. but by about five i can go into the sun so i get that last hour or so in the sun which is nice nice i, I haven't i haven't had a single drop of sweat since i moved to canada <laughs> it's I've very been, dry here i've been like can we please where we are <laughs> convert one of these rooms into a sauna so i can experience sweating again i would so much like to do that could, I could really use a lot of water weight is what I'm trying to say. Even here it's very dry. So I don't, <laughs> even though I'm doing like a practice up there, so I don't sweat too much. It's more oh, like yeah. dry heat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. No. Like a light sweat, but not like, not like a mice or sweat. Yeah. But so nice. we're, next week we're moving back to Bali. So we're going to get that sweat. Next week? Yeah, you'll yeah. get some nice oh, sweat in Bali. <laughs> you've been allowed outside the country. Yeah, we've, we've wow. got a real opening. So we're taking it. Fantastic. That's great. Mm. And so you guys will be living in Bali now. Yeah. And yeah. people two can, year visa. And people can come find you there or are you teaching there? What are you doing? How can people find um, you? Yeah, I don't think we'll be teaching straight away. Um, yeah. like don't come next week and expect you guys <laughs> yeah. to be teaching. <laughs> you have some people sleeping on your doorstep. That'd yeah. be great. <laughs> so come I back mean, tomorrow. And, yeah. <laughs> you could just keep yeah. telling them to come back tomorrow for a month. <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. They'll be your best students ever. <laughs> I think eventually, like once we get set up and routine going and everything, then I'd like to start teaching. But I mean, at the moment, the situation worldwide is no one's really traveling right so yeah. yeah it's not going to be like it was before no um no. i'd love to do i was the last few years before covid i was doing a month long or two one month intensives every year in bali 
Mm-hmm. So hopefully, if things open up again next year, we can start that again. But let's let's see. It's hard yeah. to know right now. Well, so we'd I love to come see you. Yeah, mm-hmm. meet the baby. Even we would love to come to Canada one day. Yeah, got, come in the uh, summer. It's yeah, warm. the summertime's <laughs> the best time. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I see. I see Clint's photos, and uh, yeah. it looks amazing. I mean, I've I've been to Canada a couple of times, but it was a lifetime ago, back in '96. Mm-hmm. It's so pretty much the same, beautiful. Mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Banff. I was living in Banff. Yeah, that's close to close, close to where Clint is. Right? Yeah, it's oh, yeah, it's sure. right. It's oh, sure, in between. It's an hour and a half away. Yeah, it's like in between yeah. where Clint is and where we are. And, and there's right nothing the between here and there. Yeah, like it's the next <laughs> biggest thing to us. It's true. Yeah. It's Banff. It's like, yeah, it's phenomenal. <laughs> well, there's Canmore, but Canmore and Banff are pretty close it's the same together. Thing. It's like a little <laughs> ski town outside of Banff. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. what's your website? How can people find you? It's easy. Markrobbers.com. Oh, is that all? That's good. Perfect. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you and I are on the same the same wavelength with yeah. that. <laughs> Straight up names. That's it. <laughs> well, we want to thank you so much for coming and talking to us today. It was just so nice thank to connect you. with how, you. How long has that been? I think I'm. Congratulations <laughs> to anyone who got through that. <laughs> oh i thought you meant like the number of podcasts we had we was like 55 no, no, no. this is the 55th no. podcast Maybe yeah, that was a solid two hours and yeah, uh, we might cut out some of my jokes I think, I think we should do something fun like give people a prize like ask a question and then they could like get some kind of prize if people they listen this long people should you also they should them, write in can, you could ask uh, any can anyone tell us at what minute Russell says the C word. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, what's an hour plus 45? That makes I'm gonna have to put one of those warnings before this one again. (laughs) The C bomb. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even think you'd flinch, mate. You're Australian. (laughs) Okay, I I got a good question. Okay. This is so the first person who can write in the comments the answer to this question. It's cunt. No, <laughs> it's a per- it's personal. Let's see, let's see. Something that many people might not know. What's your middle name, Mark? Oh my gosh, that's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Francis. Oh, that's a lovely oh, name. Wow. Like St. Francis. Oh, all right, so yeah, what do they get? Exactly. I was actually named, it was named after St. Francis. Exactly. Of course, yeah. Good catch. Mark yeah. Francis. What, what will they Beautiful. get? What do they get if they get the answer? We're going to come up with that? We're going to work on that? Yeah, we'll, we'll work on it. All right, we'll we're going to work on that. <laughs> it's it's fucking 11 o'clock here, so we're going to go to bed. And oh, uh, yes. okay. hope you got, you have a nice day. All right. Thank you very much. <laughs> love you mark thanks for being here thanks so much guys thanks for listening to this episode of finding harmony with me your host harmony slater you can find out more information on my website harmonyslater.com and i look forward to connecting with you again soon Heart, wind, and the soil.